All right, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday School Hour here at Long Hill Baptist Church. Take your Bible, please. Turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And we praise God for a beautiful day here today. Uh, we'll say it again uh, multiple times t- later on today, but happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you. Looking forward to having my mother with us here tonight, Lord willing, as uh, my family's traveling. Uh, from Rochester, the Rochester, New York area, uh, to be with us for Zach's graduation tomorrow. And I look forward to having them here tonight, Lord willing. Uh, Acts chapter 14, so recall where we've been here in our study through the book of Acts. Uh, We're looking uh, in chapters 13 and 14 uh, at Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, You'll recall we saw the privilege to see the calling of Paul and Barnabas there. They were called at the church of Antioch, called by the Holy Spirit, and sent out by uh, that church. And uh, they traveled south by land to Seleucia, good trivia question, and then uh, sailed west across the Mediterranean uh, to the island of Cyprus. And then uh, through the island of Cyprus to Paphos, uh, where they encountered opposition from that man named Bar-Jesus, or Elimas. Uh, they traveled uh, uh, then to Perga and to Pisidian Antioch, there we go, uh, where Paul preached uh, that wonderful gospel message at the synagogue there. Uh, we saw Paul uh, and Barnabas persevere in the face of much opposition, uh, and then blessed, uh, blessed with an audience, Uh, that was interested, some at least, the Gentiles were interested in the gospel message. Uh, Paul and Barnabas continued on, um, facing uh, much opposition, but also various blessings, including Lord's guidance and direction, uh, and his his provision uh, all along the way, uh, and the privilege to see many, many come to Christ. Uh, When they encountered uh, opposition, uh, toward the end of the chapter here, we saw Uh, In verse 51, if you look just back in uh, last chapter, chapter 13, verse 51, the Bible says they shook off the dust of their feet against them uh, and came unto Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And so uh, we find Paul and Barnabas and team now uh, in the region of Galatia. Uh, We'll see them in Iconium and then Lystra and then Derbe. Uh, preaching the gospel, organizing assemblies there, and then traveling back, basically retracing their steps back to Lystra and Iconium, and then back home to Antioch where they make a report. So uh, here we see preaching the gospel, uh, Brother Ray planting churches, organizing churches amongst uh, people who had been saved, uh, spending some time and, and revisiting them. And I think that last part of that goes to the importance of discipleship. And I think I've made the point before that uh, as you look through the, as you study through the book of Acts, you'll see in every case where Paul uh, was privileged to lead people to Christ and to organize a church, he was deeply interested in discipling uh, those believers, not just seeing people saved and then left on their own, but organizing them into assemblies, New Testament churches, uh, and then contributing significantly to their discipleship. He did that different ways. Uh, He either spent a great deal of time with that new assembly when it was planted and or visited that church again, as we see him doing here in chapter 14, 
and or he sent uh, inspired epistles back to uh, those churches. And uh, this is the region of Galatia. So, of course, you know that Paul was privileged to send an inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired uh, epistle back to these churches. And I think uh, almost certainly it's at the end of this chapter uh, where Paul is back reporting to Antioch that um, we could reasonably conclude that he was uh, privileged to send that letter back to these same churches. So uh, teaching, discipleship, uh, uh, building up this, the individual believers and the churches was critically important to Paul. And no doubt, Zach, that's because Paul understood the Great Commission, right? It involved going and teaching the gospel, baptizing a new believer, and then very importantly, uh, the part that would take the longest <laughs> is the part that we, we tend to forget most easily, the discipleship, teaching them to observe all all that Christ has said and taught. And so uh, we'll see all of that here today. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. We'll dive right into this chapter. Father, thank you again this morning uh, for uh, our Savior, for our salvation. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, thank you for your words. Lord, we thank you this morning also for moms. Uh, I'm thankful for my mom, uh, my grandmother, uh, my wife. Lord, thank you so much for ladies, godly ladies in our lives and uh, we just lift them up th this morning. Pray for them. Lord, help us now as we look into Acts chapter 14. Help us to see those things that you would have us to see. And um, Lord, help us to be encouraged by these things this morning. Father, I love you. I thank you. Uh, I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, up to Galatia now, or continuing in Galatia. This would be essentially modern-day Turkey. Uh, you think about the map, so we're, we're east of Western Europe in, into sort of, move, well, I guess Turkey might be considered Western Europe, but it would be the, the eastern edge of that. Anyway, Acts chapter 14, verse 1. It came to pass in Iconium uh, that uh, they went both together, uh, Paul and Barnabas evidently, into the synagogue of the Jews. Remember, this was Paul's practice. He would go into a new area uh, and, and go first to the synagogue. Remember, Christ came uh, for everyone, but the Jews first, uh, and so he would go there first. He went into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake. Uh, evidently, he so spake the gospel. The Bible says that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. What did he so speak? Well, he spake the things that he had, he had always spoke. He went in. We, we saw in the last chapter that great sermon that he preached, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He spent a great deal of time on the resurrection in, in that sermon that he preached in, in chapter 13. And uh, if he so spake, if he spake similarly here, uh, you can be sure he's preached the, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, uh, and, and many, a uh, great multitude of Jews uh, and of the Greeks, Gentiles, uh, believed. Um, and so we praise God for that, uh, that you, you go, uh, you preach the gospel, uh, and, and people get saved. And uh, just like we encounter today, there, there was opposition uh, in Paul's day. We were out sharing the gospel yesterday uh, at the nearby food store here, people on sort of both, both uh, entrances and exits, and uh, most people were pretty friendly, but some were not. <laughs> some, some opposed us uh, mildly, mildly, but most were quite uh, pleasant and friendly, and some, some seemed interested. Uh, so we, we pray that we may see some here today. We'll see. Uh, the same, of course, was true in Paul's day. Uh, some unbelievers opposed Paul. Verse 2 says, but the unbelieving Jews uh, stirred up the Gentiles. 
It's interesting to see unbelieving and Jews connected together. That, that's a terrible shame uh, that these people who had been chosen of God, who God had dealt with directly throughout Old Testament history, uh, many of them now are, are called unbelieving. Well, uh, they, they may, it may be that they believe in a God, they may believe in uh, the God of the Old Testament, but they do not recognize Christ as their Messiah, and they're probably unbelievers in that sense. Uh, it's a terrible shame. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. And so, um, you know, these, these unbelievers... Uh, stirred up trouble, uh, trouble within the, believe, the group of believers, no doubt trouble uh, for Paul and Barnabas as well. Uh, we understand today that being obedient to the Lord is, is necessarily going to involve uh, staying faithful in the face of opposition. Sometimes it doesn't seem like there's a lot, but, but you know, there's spiritual opposition, whether we see it or not. Uh, sometimes the opposition is, is human and it's out there in the open, uh, and we should not be surprised. If, if, we, if we encounter opposition, uh, uh, human opposition, uh, in the course of uh, our, our ministries, our church, where we've been praying regularly that the Lord would use us to plant a church, if there's human opposition uh, in, in, on that front, we should not be surprised. We should expect it. <laughs> we should expect it and, uh, and deal with it as Paul did. Just stay prayerful, uh, stay faithful, stay upon the course that the Lord has set for us. Well, look, look at verse 3, long before, forgive me, long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, despite the opposition, stayed a long time. Uh, they abode, uh, they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace uh, and granted signs and wonders to be done uh, by their hands. So uh, again, the Holy Spirit it takes care to Note here that, that despite the opposition, uh, Paul and Barnabas remained here for a long time. Uh, yes, in the face of opposition, sure enough, but they understood that these new believers were going to need to be discipled, and especially in the context of, of so much opposition, which no doubt in, involved people speaking against Paul and Barnabas, people speaking against Christ, uh, people speaking against the teaching uh, of Christ, uh, no doubt. And, and, and so the Lord evidently has Paul and Barnabas to stay uh, speaking boldly, no doubt with boldness from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord as they stay yielded to the Lord, uh, giving testimony unto the word of his grace, and the Lord used signs and wonders uh, by their hands at that time to confirm the truth of what they uh, taught. Now, we understand signs and wonders decline throughout the book of Acts and uh, are, are out of the picture before the end of this chronological history book, uh, and we, we do not see them uh, being used in, in, in churches today. Of course, God does miracles, but not signs and wonders uh, for the purpose of confirming the truth uh, of, of the, the words of God. Uh, today, we have the completed canon of Scripture, and, and that's all the, the confirmation that we need. See verse 4, the Bible says, But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with uh, the apostles. Brother Ray, it's the truth. The gospel divides. Uh, it divides families. Uh, it divides uh, people in a town. Uh, we, we see that today. We see that right here. Uh, there's, there was a division between believers and, and unbelievers. 
Uh, some will hold with unbelievers, some will hold with believers. I, I praise God for people uh, who will stick with their church, who will stick with their Lord, who will stay faithful uh, despite opposition uh, in the world. Uh, in this case here, the opposition became uh, potentially violent. Uh, some planned to stone Paul and Barnabas, and uh, it, it gets pretty bad here before they're done. Verse 5, and when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of or from the Jews with their rulers, uh, the leaders of the synagogue there in Iconium, to use them despitefully and to stone them. Verse 6 says they were aware of it. Paul and Barnabas became aware of, of the plan to stone them. And uh, we don't know exactly, Zach, how that is, how they became aware of this plan. But uh, I believe we, we, we could reasonably conclude that somehow the Lord chose to reveal uh, this threat to Paul and Barnabas and provided them time to escape. God has, God's blessing them for their faithfulness here. Now, some will say, yeah, but the Lord allows Paul to suffer stoning and shipwreck and various different uh, physical trials along the way. That's true. That's true. Uh, but at this point, the Lord has chosen to allow them to escape and, and praise God. This is, this is the Lord's choice at this point. And I'm sure Paul and Barnabas were most thankful for that. Verse 6 says, They were aware of it uh, and fled unto Lystra and Derbes, city of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. So uh, they're, they're uh, up in Iconium, uh, in Galatia, modern Turkey-ish. Uh, they, they travel to Lystra and, and then to Derbe. Now, Brother Ray, consider this. Uh, do, we, do we suppose perhaps that the Lord may have had a purpose for allowing the, the people back in Iconium, some of them, uh, who opposed Paul and Barnabas to make a plan to stone them, to persecute them, to harm them. Did the Lord allow them to make a plan? Yes, he did. Did he allow them to carry out that plan? No, he did not. But it would seem to be the case that the Lord had a purpose for allowing that plan to come almost to fruition. Uh, the Lord evidently uses that to move Paul and Barnabas out of Iconium uh, in the Lord's timing uh, to Lystra and Derby, places that need the gospel, places where people need to be saved, uh, and places where saved people will need churches. Uh, and so I believe the Lord uses this persecution uh, to move, in this case at least, to move Paul and Barnabas along uh, to these places. Well, in both Lystra and Derby, what they do? Well, they preach the gospel. They preach the death, burial, and resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Verse 7 says that. Verse 7 says, and there they preached not just any old thing, but the gospel. Again, the death, burial, and resurrection uh, of Christ. Now see verse 8. Uh, there's a man here who has an affliction uh, at Lystra. Uh, we're at Lystra first, and then, then Derby. Verse 8 says this, There sat a certain man at Lystra, uh, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. So uh, here's a man, language is quite clear. Uh, he has a severe disability, a congenital one, evidently. He had not been able to walk since from birth. Uh, never been able to walk at all. Uh, and yet, this is a man of great faith, and, and, and Paul, Paul sees his faith, see verse 9, his faith, uh, the same heard Paul speak, this uh, disabled man heard Paul speak, uh, who, the man, steadfastly beholding him, uh, and, 
forgive me, Paul, the same heard Paul speak, who Paul now steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he, the disabled man, had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Paul says, stand upright on thy feet. Uh, and the Bible says he, the disabled man, leaped uh, and walked. Well, this is, this be a sign, this be a miraculous uh, healing that the Lord has uh, allowed Paul uh, to perform. Now we understand that Paul had no power to heal this man apart from power uh, that is given uh, by the, the Spirit of God. And of course, at the end of the day, it's the Spirit of God who's actually doing the healing here, but uh, using Paul to deal with this man, uh, to interact with this man, uh, and to, uh, through Paul, um, um, this man would be healed. Uh, I want you to see here, or, or consider, better word, consider for a moment, um, that it's this man's, um, we'll, we'll see this again in the, in the 11 o'clock hour today, uh, it would seem to be the case that uh, the Lord often allowed people to suffer uh, afflictions, uh, severe, uh, and sometimes from birth for purpose. And again, this has been a great theme in our church here recently, God always acts with purpose, uh, it would seem to me that when we see uh, often, at least, these severe afflictions and disabilities, the Lord actually uses those things uh, to bring people to faith in Christ. Uh, no doubt this man uh, has come with an interest uh, in being healed because he's come here because he understands that uh, Paul's preaching truth and uh, speaking, preaching of Christ, and that uh, faith in, in Christ could, in fact, uh, result in the, in the blessing of healing. And so, uh, again, I believe this, the Lord has used this man's affliction to bring him uh, to faith in Christ. He's, he's healed uh, on the basis of his faith, verse 9. And as we've seen so often in our recent studies in Matthew, it seems the man is healed immediately and completely. This man who had never walked leaped and walked. He, he got up and he leaped about and, and he walked. And uh, he was able to do that um, immediately, despite the fact he had never walked before. Uh, a baby, of course, who's never walked before, needs time to learn and uh, to, to get their balance and to learn to step without falling and all that. This man, having been healed of the Lord, he just gets up and, and goes. Uh, obviously, a great supernatural act of the Spirit of God. And uh, I probably haven't emphasized this enough, Zach, but we do well to remember that uh, in every chapter of the book of Acts, you can see the Holy Spirit at work, right? In every chapter, uh, you see either uh, specific references to the Spirit, allusions to the Spirit, or obvious supernatural activity uh, of the Spirit of God. And uh, no doubt, the Spirit of God has worked to, to uh, move and navigate, uh, lead Paul and Barnabas, uh, and here to heal this man. Praise God. Praise God. Well, uh, the people at um, Lystra, uh, they respond in an unfortunate way. Uh, some of them, at least, respond in an unfortunate way. Uh, they witness Paul uh, heal this man, Paul and Barnabas. They, they credit Paul and Barnabas with this healing. Of course, they should credit the Lord, as we have, but they credit Paul and Barnabas and they uh, assume, not, not knowing the truth of, of Christ and the history that Paul and Barnabas have and uh, the fact that they, they preach and teach Christ, that the local people assume that Paul and Barnabas must be manifestations of their 
uh, Greek gods. Uh, and two of the Greek gods would be Jupiter and Mercurius. Now, Jupiter is um, uh, in many ways a supreme god in, in both Greek and Roman mythology. Um, and Mercurius was their god of eloquence, uh, of, of excellent speech. Uh, Paul was the speaker in the group, and so uh, the, many of the, the lost people, I believe lost people here at Lystra, assume that Paul must be Mercurius. And evidently, uh, Barnabas had a more commanding appearance, so they assume that Barnabas must be Jupiter, uh, they decide that these two men are manifestations of two of their gods uh, amongst their pantheon of gods, and so they began to worship them. Verse 11, this is not a good response, but uh, it's, it's misunderstanding. Verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of, of the region, the gods uh, are come down to us in the likeness of men. Uh, and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Uh, verse 13 continues, Then the, priests of, the priest of Jupiter, uh, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice uh, with the people. So uh, they, they just assume, not understanding, not, not um, having heard the gospel and the explanation uh, of Christ and, and all of the history that, that factors into that, they they just assume that, that Paul and Barnabas are manifestations of their false gods, and so they naturally uh, would begin to worship them. Now, um, Brother Ray, thankfully, Paul and Barnabas will have uh, nothing to do with this, and, and we'll see that shortly. But I want to just stop here and, and make an observation. Uh, there is evidently uh, a natural tendency boiled into our old nature uh, to desire to worship men or women. Uh, we know that in the first century there was a great deal of goddess worship. There, was, there were temples uh, to the goddess Diana and, and to others. Uh, so we know that there was uh, a great deal of, of not just temptation, but the practice of worshiping uh, people or images of people um, that was uh, prevalent in the first century and before. And so uh, we should not be surprised when we encounter that in the world even today. Uh, and and not, not to just throw stones at, at the Roman Catholic Church, but uh, it is interesting um, and, well, it's, it's unfortunate to say the very least, that we see something like this in the Roman Catholic Church today. We see, uh, for example, and most obviously, Mariolatry, the veneration of Mary, uh, prayers conducted to Mary. I would, I would uh, characterize that as worship. They would call it veneration, but I, I, I struggle to see the difference. Uh, we find prayers to the so-called saints uh, being taught and practiced in the Roman Catholic Church. And so, uh, by the way, that, that's profoundly unbiblical. The Bible never teaches prayers to people. Uh, it certainly never teaches the veneration or worship or prayers to Mary. Uh, never even implies that this is something that the Lord desires. Rather, it's something that has been borrowed from the goddess worship of the first century and mixed into a corrupted Christianity uh, and then carried forward over time. And so... 
uh, we can understand that this is, a, this is a function of what existed in the world in the first century uh, that um, is, is bred in our, our lost nature. We ought not to be surprised by this, but it's, it's good to understand um, this and, and to not be surprised by it and to be able and willing to, uh, to point out to those in the Roman Catholic Church or in other faiths where you see something similar happening, hey, this is, this is idolatry. This is profoundly unbiblical, profoundly offensive to the one true God. Uh, you need to turn from that. You, you need to repent of that, turn from that, uh, and turn to the one true God, Lord Jesus Christ. Place your faith in him alone. You don't need to pray for uh, Mary to intercede uh, with, for you, uh, on behalf of you, with God the Father. No, that's the role of Christ. And uh, the minute you take Christ off the throne and put Mary in his place, you, you certainly have a different gospel. You certainly have idolatry, Mariolatry, uh, and that, that is certainly a great offense to uh, the Lord. And so, uh, yes, that has to be addressed carefully uh, in a way that is easy to be entreated, to use Bible language and with great wisdom and prayer. But um, it, is, it is the case that uh, in our day, we see a great deal of the same thing that uh, Paul encountered in his day. And so uh, we, we ought to see Paul's response and uh, be prepared to uh, practice the same response. Well, uh, the first part of their response is that they refuse to be worshipped. That, that's good. Uh, verse 14, which when the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard that, they rent their clothes and, and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? Why are you doing this? We're not gods. There's one true God, and, and, and we're not him. Uh, they uh, humbly claim to be men like the people of the, of the area there. Verse 15, we also are men of like passions. Uh, like passions, uh, the underlying language, there we go, language, uh, can be understood to mean in the same state or in the same condition. Like you is, is the idea. We are men like you. We are not gods. They immediately uh, refuse to be viewed as gods. They immediately refuse to be worshipped uh, as the elect angels refuse to be worshipped. Uh, and uh, verse 15 continues, and we preach unto you that ye should turn uh, from these vanities. From, from these van Now, question here would be, what, what would be, uh, what's the meaning of the, these vanities? Well, uh, vanity biblically is something that um, it has no lasting power or effect, no lasting effect, or something that doesn't last. Like a vapor, uh, beauty does not last. Uh, physical beauty uh, changes over time, we might say. Uh, so it's, it's vain to be caught up in appreciating a human beauty. You understand how I mean that. Um, and so Paul says, listen, you need to turn from the vanities that you're worshiping men, uh, worshiping false gods. There's no power, no lasting effect. Uh, they need to repent of that, to turn uh, from worshiping false gods to uh, worshiping the living God. Uh, and that's exactly what they preached. They said, turn from these vanities unto the living God, uh, who was creator, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Uh, there's nothing vain about the one true God. He always has been. He has acted in the past with, with ongoing effect. 
Uh, he's currently involved, very much involved in his creation, uh, in the lives of his people. Uh, there's nothing at all vain about the one true God. We praise God for that. Uh, Paul continues and testifies that, uh, hey, this, this creation of the one true God is, is a continuous reminder and testimony uh, to who he is. Verse 16, who in times past uh, suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Uh, nevertheless, he has not left himself without witness. And uh, creation, of course, would be one of the greatest witnesses uh, to the fact of God. Uh, in Psalm 19, the verse 1, David writes under inspiration, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Well, praise God. You can look out the window and witness creation. You can witness the effect of the handiwork of God, the power uh, of God, and the lasting effect of his power. Uh, Paul also testified that, that God ha has and continues to work graciously within his creation uh, to provide for all people despite their wickedness. Uh, he continues in verse 17, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food uh, and gladness. And praise God for that. Uh, we, we have a God who, who provides for us in large part through the systems uh, in his creation that uh, produce food. And the Lord has graciously done that for the, the righteous and the wicked alike. And, uh, and praise God for that. Um, the people... Uh, respond to Paul's refusal of worship by, by not worshiping. They, they break off from their intention to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Verse 18, and with these sayings, uh, scarce restrained by the people that they uh, had not done sacrifice unto them. Um, however, at this point, uh, certain of the Jews came uh, and stoned Paul. So some want to worship him, uh, others want to stone him. Uh, great deal of difficulty here uh, for sure. Verse 19, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch, uh, Pisidian Antioch evidently, and Iconium, uh, who, who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So uh, in this case, uh, Paul, the Lord allows Paul uh, to be stoned, uh, to be uh, physically abused, beaten, stoned, attacked with stones, uh, and, and so severely, uh, evidently, that they thought they had killed him uh, and dragged him out of the city, leaving him evidently for dead. Now, <laughs> we'd look at that and, and wonder, why would God allow that? Why, why in the world would God allow that? Paul has been nothing but faithful, Brother Ray. Uh, and in the recent past, as we saw, the Lord uh, allowed Paul and Barnabas to escape from men who desired to stone them. Uh, but here the Lord does not allow that, um, does not allow them to escape. And so, you know, it's, it is a fair question to wonder why is it that the Lord would allow his faithful men here to suffer great trials. Well, there's, there's certainly a number of biblical explanations that, that um, are good explanations. We know that uh, the Lord allowed Paul to continue to suffer a physical affliction uh, for a long period of time in order to keep him humble. Uh, it's 
here, I, I can see practical reasons. The Lord is going to use this to move them on to Derby. Uh, it's a hard way to be moved on. I understand that. I also understand God could have moved them on differently. Um, there's no doubt that uh, experiencing a trial like this would have been um, a great trial indeed, perhaps a trial of faith, Brother Ray. Uh, and when you experience a trial like that in the midst of ministry, of course there would be a temptation to break off, to break away from the ministry, to say, well, if this is, if this is how God's going to reward me for my faithfulness to him, uh, I don't, I don't want to continue in the ministry that God has called me to. But uh, evidently, Paul understood that God had a purpose uh, for this. God had a purpose for this opposition, for this persecution, for this severe physical trial. Uh, Paul, Paul would be faced with the question of continuing on in faith despite the opposition, knowing that God has a purpose, or he could say, enough, I will not accept this uh, and go back home. And brother, I think that question uh, is part, probably part of, of, of God's purpose. God acts with purpose. You have the privilege here to see that despite having been beaten, stoned nearly to death, uh, and dragged and, and, and left outside the city, having been stoned nearly to death, this man, Paul, continues forward in the ministry. I don't know about you, but that, that encourages me. Uh, I can look at that and say, hey, no matter what kind of opposition I face in my ministry, or no matter what kind of opposition that you may face in your ministry, Zach, Ray, uh, and all who are listening, uh, you can go on. You can be beaten and left for dead and, and get up and dust yourself off or allow the Lord to do that for you and allow the Lord to give you grace to continue on. No matter what kind of opposition from men we face, no matter what kind of spiritual opposition we face, it is possible to get up and move on for the Lord. How do I know it's possible? Because that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They chose not to be uh, distracted or discouraged. They chose, despite the suffering, uh, to continue forward. And listen, we need to be honest and say, uh, ministry will at times, or can at least at times, uh, involve suffering, uh, real suffering, you know, not just the inconvenience of going out on a Saturday for an hour or two, but sometimes real uh, suffering. And um, we have to decide, hey, am I willing to suffer for my Savior? He was most certainly willing to suffer for us a great deal, more than anyone has ever suffered. And so uh, am I going to be willing to suffer for him and to continue forward uh, knowing that he has a purpose if he's allowing suffering? Uh, my answer is yes, and I pray that it will always be yes, and I hope it is uh, for you too. Lord, give us a heart, give us strength to continue on in the face of opposition and suffering uh, for you, uh, proving that it's possible in you, in Christ, to do that, uh, knowing that you are at work in all of that situation. Praise God. Let's go a little bit further here. Uh, Paul, um, well, verse 20, how be it as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up uh, and came in the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. 
Uh, so they've been in Iconium, they've been in Lystra, and now they're being moved on uh, to Derby. In verse 21, you can probably guess what they're going to do, right, Zach? They're going to go and they're going to preach the gospel. Doesn't matter if Paul's all beat up, and he's going to go and, and, and move on and, and preach the gospel. Uh, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, so they preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ at Derby and had taught many. I believe there you see, uh, you see um, they, they went there, they taught the gospel, uh, and they discipled. They, they stayed. Uh, it's implied that they were baptized, people were baptized, and they were organized into uh, a church. That, that's implied. They taught many, they discipled, and then they returned again, uh, basically to the same places in reverse order, to Lystra and to Iconium, and then back to their sending church, uh, Antioch. So they go back to Lystra, they go back to Iconium, uh, where they encounter great opposition. They didn't, they didn't travel around those places. Uh, the Lord could have directed them to do that. I don't know if you've, if you've thought much about verse 21 here. The Lord could have directed them around uh, Lystra and Iconium where they encountered great opposition, but evidently he did not. Evidently, Brother Ray, the Lord has had them to specifically to return to Lystra uh, where they Paul been stoned and then to Iconium where they'd suffered opposition as well. Uh, why? Why? Well, no, no doubt, again, to encourage, uh, verse 42 says, it gives the answer, confirming or strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting uh, them to continue in the faith. And that, and that, please don't miss this, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, Paul went back to teach them, to disciple them, to encourage them uh, to continue despite opposition, despite tribulation. Uh, and now he could go back and say, listen, that's exactly what I'm doing. I was, I was stoned. I understand that uh, you, we, we're, we're going to experience opposition, tribulation, but we are called uh, to continue in the faith despite that, uh, ultimately uh, entering into the, the kingdom of God. And, and, and praise God, that is, uh, that is the case. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says, All that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Are you part of that all? Will you live godly in Christ Jesus? Yes, if yes, then you will suffer persecution. Expect it. Uh, Christ has suffered persecution for us. We can suffer persecution for him. Uh, let's, let's man up, man, and be, and be honest about that and be willing to do that. Uh, ladies, you too, amen. Uh, in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Take up his cross. Take up his cross and follow me. Uh, in John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Praise God. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2, in verse 12, the Bible says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. It's not a strange thing. Uh, but rejoice in so much as ye are partakers 
of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Praise God. Praise God. Don't be uh, surprised or discouraged or knocked off track by opposition. It's what we should expect. And we can know that God has purposes. Uh, he is working in that. He's strengthening us. Uh, and others are watching us and, and marveling and being encouraged at the power of Christ in our lives despite the opposition uh, that we face. Well, verse 22, as Paul's traveling back through uh, these same places, the Bible says in verse 23, when they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed and fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed, uh, having believers there and um, churches an organized group of believers, they needed pastors. They needed pastors. And this word here, no doubt, is a reference to pastors. You recall that um, we've studied out the, the word elder, uh, pastor, shepherd, and bishop. Uh, bishop. Uh, all three words refer very plainly to the same office in the local church, the office of pastor. Uh, the elder would, appear, would uh, allude to their uh, spiritual maturity. Hey, men can mature quickly if they're being discipled, and um, Paul is committed to discipling them. Um, we have the word bishop also, which refers to the authority that God vests in the office of pastor, and of course pastor is the idea of shepherd or under-shepherd, uh, the one called to lead the flock. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we need, we need men who can fulfill all, th all three uh, roles, if you will, uh, in every church. Bible, here, Bible says every church, and so Paul has ordained, they, they had ordained uh, elders in every church. Verse 24, and after they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Verse 25, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia. Uh, and then back home to Antioch, where they give a report to their sending church. By the way, missionaries, good missionaries, biblical missionaries continue to do this. And I understand not, not all missionaries can see all of their churches whenever they come back home, but over a course of many years, their, their heart is to uh, give reports back, and um, it's based on what we see here, verse 26. They then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to, uh, to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled, and when they were come and had gathered the church uh, together, they rehearsed or uh, gave a report of all that God had done with them uh, and through them, and how he'd opened the door of faith uh, unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. Uh, and again, I think it's probably here at this location, at this point on the timeline, that Paul likely uh, wrote under inspiration uh, the book of Galatians, that letter back to the churches that we've seen um, founded, planted, uh, and built up here in this chapter. What a joy! Uh, to be able to see this. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you this morning for this chapter. It's, it's an extraordinary chapter. And Lord, what an encouragement. What an encouragement to see him, uh, two men able to continue on despite uh, all of the opposition from the religious leaders and from those that would do physical harm to Paul and such severe physical harm. Lord, what a great encouragement that Paul was able and willing to get up and continue on. Lord, for you. Father, I thank you this morning that we can too. 
We have the same God that Paul had. We have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us who indwelled Paul. Father, we can continue on despite difficulties, opposition, persecution. I thank you for that this morning. Lord, give us hearts to do that for you. Lord, I love you this morning. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.